Amazon is headed to Northern Virginia to enter New York City. We need to rethink the blue wave of last week. And I just returned from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. That and more on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Most typically, this show goes this way. I have two or three thoughts on, or maybe more, more accurately, I have four or five thoughts on one or two things, right? It's one big idea that I've been ruminating on, and it's a, a lot of thoughts on just a few items. This week is going to be the exact opposite. I really just have like one or two thoughts on a ton of different things. We will get started on that in just a moment. My name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us on Christian Talk 660 or on any of the plenteous, many of the copious podcasting apps on which we reside. Always appreciative where you listen and then share the show with others. I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at Greenville High School in downtown Greenville. You are welcome to join us even to join us any given Sunday morning at 1030 at Greenville High School for Beachwood Church. Let's start with this. I just returned from the South Carolina Baptist Convention and met this week down in Charleston. I have a couple reactions to it, and then we'll move on. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention is not just near and dear to my heart. If you are out there in the Christian world, you should just know. As many as the problems as the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, has encountered as of late, it is still the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. The parts where you can really pin a rose or doing a great job, we're, we're still the place that does a great deal of disaster relief. We're still the place that provides homes for kids with no homes. We're, we are doing some good things out there. There is influence in the SBC. And really the big theme this year, I think one of the reasons we met in Charleston was the emphasis of picking up racial reconciliation, that banner that needs to be carried forward. Just recognizing a history of some racial divide, that the SBC had a role in exacerbating, but now has a role in reconciling, now has a role in healing, and that was a huge theme. We actually met Tuesday evening at Mother Emanuel AME Church, where that shooter that I will not... I've joined folks that are much bigger than me just in not naming the names of these shooters, because we think part of their reasoning is the fame they get from having committed these murders, but where that racist person went in and I I called a terrorist attack at Mother Emanuel AME. And so that's something I just want you to know that's out there. There is a large chunk of American evangelicalism that recognizes that the experience the American experience is different for black people. And we want to find a way to communicate well, to communicate clearly, to recognize that. And to not let those differences be any encumbrance on the sharing of the gospel message, sharing of the Jesus message, that there not be that barrier between us. So that was the, uh, admittedly, uh, probably the bigger biggest theme, if there was one, in the convention. Here's my bigger takeaway from going. You know, I had a, uh, someone say to me here recently, Corey, you're a very private person. You're, you, like, you like your privacy. You don't really let people know what's going on, uh, and sh- uh, that person was right. 
So let me say something that I typically wouldn't. I've been focusing on a lot of the wrong things. Maybe just in the last month or so. Maybe even just a little self-obsessed. Really, sometimes, if, if I'm honest, maybe some of you can join me in admitting this. Some self-pity. Feeling sorry for myself on some things. I love going to these conventions. Because it's, it's helpful to focus. And I wonder if I can help you focus some. We are people who focus on ourselves. And very temporal things. A lot of times we focus on ourselves today, tomorrow, what next week might look like. We don't even focus on ourselves and what things might look like a decade from now. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I can't say this with any definitiveness, but in my experience, I have found some of the most depressed people, the people that are most miserable are the people that think about themselves the most. Because if you do emanate on yourself or uh, you you ruminate on yourself, you think about you a lot, you're going to disappoint yourself. And that's crushing. It's crushing to be a a disappointment to yourself. And so you go to these conventions and you just realize as much as I think is wrong, as much as I think about myself, there's a lot of good. And there's a lot of eternal things happening. And it makes me refocus on the fact that a lot of the stuff I care about and put a lot of effort in is not going to matter later. Not just, well, it's not going to matter in eternity. I can't believe you wasted your time on that when it's not going to matter when the, in the end of time. No, I'm talking to like maybe a year from now it won't matter. And so I go to this convention and I see this report from Connie Maxwell. Here in South Carolina, we have this children's home that takes care of kids without parents. And I, I look at that eternal work that is taking care of the vulnerable children. I hear from really inspiring people that are, are spending a ton of their life on seeing to it that people who don't have access to hearing the Christian message getting access to it. And it makes me focus on the right things. And that's all I want to encourage you from, from this week that I had. Coming off, if I'm honest, a kind of a rough time. Being able to go and see some things that actually matter. And then putting in context all the things we stress about, all the things we care about. Just taking some time and going, but will it matter really? In the end, because ultimately, let me give you my little sermon and we'll finish with this part. A lot of things we do terminate. They they terminate fairly quickly in context uh, of our lives. But there are some things we can do, how we serve others, how we serve for those of you that are married, your spouse, how you raise your kids, how you love your parents in their old age, what you do in your church when you share the gospel. These are things with eternal consequences, things that literally will never stop mattering. 1,000 trillion years from now, they will still matter. So let's focus on those. Let's focus on those things that won't stop mattering. That's mostly what I took away from the SBC this week in uh, in Charleston. And I would just also just commend uh, Dr. Gary Hollingsworth. Uh, he was there. Uh, did a great job in leadership, um, and so just grateful. Uh, it was good, good job, guys. We certainly have our challenges. I would never try to brush that, uh, to, to paper that over. Uh, Baptists have our issues, 
Uh, but it was a good, encouraging week. Um, so uh, I was going to move on to the Amazon thing directly, uh, but let me just do this instead. Since we're talking about matters of faith, there was one story I wanted to get to from ChristianNews.net. ChristianNews.net is the source. The headline, it comes out of Bakersville, Cal- Bakersfield, California. The headline is, Lesbians who filed complaint against Baker for not making a wedding cake wore hidden microphones. So here's just another one report out of many where we're not just now seeing any honesty from those who are trying to attack Christians. It's not uh, an honest, I'm offended, not an honest, I was discriminated, but actually trying to find Christians who are doing things inside the wedding industry, whether that be flowers or cakes or venues, and trying actively to go and wreck and ruin them. And so here is a little bit of the story. Two lesbians, I'm quoting now, two lesbians who filed a complaint against a Christian baker after she declined to make a cake for the same-sex celebration of their wedding wore hidden microphones to record the refusal. Quote, The evidence shows this was all a setup to get money and to destroy Kathy for her Christian faith, said Charles Lamandry, the attorney for Freedom of Conscious Defense Fund. Another quote, The couple never intended to actually celebrate their marriage with a custom cake from Tastries. Huh, what a cute little name for a bakery called Tastries. Back to the quote, We hope as this case moves forward, the full truth will come to light. The short story is this. These two lesbian ladies found a baker that they knew would refuse them, did not go in good faith to get the product they wanted. They specifically went out to get denied so they could file a lawsuit because they think they can make a social point, punish a Christian, because this is a thing in our culture now. You can hate us. You're allowed. You're allowed to hate the Christians because we're the mean bigots. You can hate them, hate them, hate them, try to ruin their lives. And then also they wanted some money. They're also just selfish people. This should not surprise us. It should not surprise us when sinners sin, but this is an attack on a Christian for her Christianity. The A couple other quotes from this that I wanted to get to. Uh, the lawsuit asserts that the women suffered both physically and emotionally, stating that Mira, this is one of the women, stating that Mira's nose started to bleed and she got a headache. It further contends that although she tried to contain her emotions, Eileen, the other woman, later broke down and her emotional anguish aggravated her rheumatoid arthritis. So what needs to happen in the legal proceedings of this is we say to these ladies, no, you're actually the bigots here. You're actually the hateful ones here. And specifically the second lady, Eileen, your emotions, you're... You're saying you're, you're being harmed by your emotions? Let me uh, give you this. Grow up. Control your emotions. That's what we teach children. We teach children that when your emotions are bothering you, you control them. You figure that out because you grow up. You get old and you're an, uh, you're an adult now. And so now your emotions don't control you. You control your emotions. That's how this works. Now, does that sound super mean and um, am I being kind of rude? Yeah, probably. More than I should be. Uh, there, sh- there should be uh, something of an attitude of understanding and I'm doing my best. But ultimately, I mean, if we're here, we are in this culture where it seems to be the thing you're supposed to value most is your victimhood. You get more points in the culture if you're a victim, if you're a minority. Let me ask you a question, guys. Is there a more minor? Oh, of course, there's a more minority position. Let me say it this way Is standing by your conscience regarding sexuality a minority position now or a majority position? It's a minority position. 
It's a minority position for me to say, hi there, I think God made man and man in his own image, women in his own image, and they're just two different sides of God's image, and that he intended sexual relationships, including marriage, to only take place between men and women. And the celebration of anything else, I can't take part in because it violates my conscience. Am I in the majority of the minority? I'm in the minority. And even in my own faith, there are people that would say, well, you know, just out of love, bake the cake, and that'll be a good testimony to them. I'm a minority even in my own group. This woman who in, in, Cal- in California who decided not to bake the cake, she's a minority in her own group. Where do we get our victim status? Where, where are we held up as victims in this victim culture that we've all set up? My ultimate point is this. There, these folks are out there because it's okay to try to hate Christians and it's okay to try to wreck them. Uh, it is important that we have the compassion we can find. Well, we can stand up for ourselves. But don't at some level, don't do a little bit of what I just did. We're trying not to get angry, trying not to cause more of a fuss uh, than we have to. We can defend ourselves, but not treating treating folks poorly. But we should recognize there are those out there that just think they can go attack and hate Christians. And it, it might be time to have a discussion as a culture of when Christianity gets to be one of the many protected classes since we are a minority group with a minority position that a bunch of people just think it's okay to despise, hate, and try to ruin. When we come back, I have an unpopular opinion about Amazon. Uh, And I know it's an unpopular opinion uh, because most of my opinions are. Uh, So Amazon made a big announcement this week. We'll talk about that when we return. So stick with us for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. there. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. You can get it on demand lots of places, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and many others. I hope you will. And at CoreyTruax.com. Share the show wherever you can if you're so inclined. And it's always appreciated when you rate and or review the show. It makes it easier for others to find it. So, arguably, the biggest, biggest story of the week was not a political one. The biggest story of the week might have been Amazon. They've been going through this process for a while now of where they're, they were going to put their next headquarters or set of headquarters. They are based out of Seattle originally, uh, I should say. I love Amazon. They get a big old chunk of my income. Not just Amazon, the, uh, the, the service from which you order things online. I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an Amazon Prime member. I use Amazon Video. I think they might be the country's best company. I mean, it's them, Apple. Google, I think Walmart still has a has an argument uh, to be the, the country's best company, but uh, Amazon passed Walmart uh, just, I think, last year for the largest retailer. Uh, a- Amazon's an American institution. It's truly incredible what they've achieved. Jeff Bezos, their leader, uh, he, he owns a bunch of other stuff, but Amazon's truly an incredible American institution, and they announced this week they were going to build two new headquarters instead of just another one on the East Coast. They were going to build one in the New York City area. I think one was actually in either Queens or the Bronx. Maybe it was Staten. No, it wasn't Staten Island. But in any event, it's in the New York City area. And then another one in Nova, Northern Virginia. If you've ever met anyone from Northern Virginia or the people who work in D.C. and live in Virginia, that's what they call it. They called Northern Virginia Nova. And they built it in those two places. Now, uh, some some unpopular opinion of mine in reaction. I will admit, I always get very uncomfortable with these situations where giant corporations are courted by governments. Because essentially what Amazon does there is, we're going to build headquarters 
these unique things that not everybody has. We're going to build them, and we want to know who's going to give us the most stuff for, for us to build it where you want us to. It, it smacks of a situation that can be rife with corruption. It smacks of that crony capitalism where it's not... I mean, even if you like the outcome here, and I actually totally understand the argument for loving what happens here because in Amazon creates a bunch of jobs someplace. I, I can see the argument that mayors and governors should absolutely be out here giving sweetheart deals to giant corporations because it gets gets jobs to their citizens. I totally understand all of those arguments. But even if you understand the arguments, excuse me, even if you have those arguments, you should be able to recognize, well, this isn't capitalism. This is cronyism. It's some kind of crony capitalism where corporations and government work together, where government officials, they get their win because they get to announce that they got the big corporation. And the corporation gets their big win because they don't pay taxes. They get all kinds of tax incentives for having come and done this. And so it makes me uncomfortable because it's not truly free markets. It's not truly a free market capitalism solution. It's not actually competitive. Now, I certainly hear back an argument that, well, there's nothing like Amazon. It's not like Northern Virginia and New York City are bringing in a competitor directly uh, to someone to some other company in their area, and now they're disadvantaging someone who was already in their area. It is unique, right? There's no other Amazon. There's no other place like it. So therefore, we're not dealing with a place that uh, can have... A, they're not disadvantaging someone else, right? They, there was a discussion a long while back, it was in South Carolina, uh, regarding bringing in like Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's or something and giving them some kind of incentive to build retail stores here. That's a different situation where it's, well, we have gun shops. We have places where hunters get stuff. That already all exists. So no, you can't have incentive to come here and just compete with our people. That's not fair. So admittedly, Amazon's a unique situation and it might then require or even justify unique incentives. But in general, I don't like this stuff. I don't like the idea of a bunch of politicians lining up in front of a corporation, letting them know what kind of goodies they're going to give them, but no one else gets those goodies. I'm not a fan of it. But let's go through the positives and negatives really quickly. So first, negatives. Anytime we do this, anytime a state does this, in a Virginia or in a New York or in a New York City, and they create this this business environment for one company, one company gets this awesome business environment. The thing they then defer, that's something they don't do, they don't go actually fix their bad business environment. New York City and New York State don't go fix their terrible tax code, don't lower their corporate taxes. Virginia doesn't fix their regulation situation because they got this big win, and so it defers a thing that needs to happen to everybody. What I'd love for New York City, New York State, and Virginia to recognize is your problem here is... If you would create this environment that you've created for Amazon, just create it for everybody, where everybody gets this situation, you'd have a lot more success. Texas is a great example of this. Texas doesn't do these sweetheart deals, but they are booming. Why? Because they have a great environment for everybody. No one's getting any special deals, and they don't need a special deal. In Texas, you just have a good business environment. So one of the negative consequences of giving these sweetheart deals to an Amazon is you don't go and fix your generally bad business environment. Number two. Often, this does disadvantage other companies, and it's not fair. There's got, there's got to be some other company out there that would say, it's not fair 
that Amazon is going to get this tax incentive to be here in New York City or to be here in Northern Virginia. I'm not going to get any of that advantage, and they're one of my competitors. That's hard with Amazon because in one way they compete with, a no- with nobody, and then in another way they compete with everybody because there's no one like Amazon. Maybe Walmart is kind of like Amazon, but not really. When you think of what Amazon does in terms of distribution of goods all over the country, there's really no one like them. So in one way, they, there's no one to compete with them. They're a unique entity in and of themselves. On the other side, they also compete with everybody. There's nothing they don't sell. There is no product that, you, that they have you can't go find on a shelf somewhere else. And so in some way, they're competing with every retail space that's out there. And so there is some disadvantage where a government is often in these situations picking winners and losers. That's not necessarily what's happening here with Amazon because, again, they're very unique. But in general, I don't like these concepts of these businesses going out and looking for these deals from governments because it would it defers their defers their drive to go fix their bad business environment and then it disadvantages other companies often unfairly and then again my last negative it does show that cronyism this is not how it's supposed to work there's not supposed to be businesses out there trying to get special deals from government the systems and the structures and the environments should apply to all companies and businesses equally even someone I know personally, there was, a, a, he's a supplier, and one of his biggest customers was trying to hit their quota for some kind of government incentive to use suppliers who are minority-owned or female-owned. And because this someone I know is a white male, he got dropped because he's got, they had to go get more minority or female-owned Businesses to be their suppliers. And literally everyone suffered for it because my friend suffered. But then that company that was minority or woman-owned, woman they, they, the stuff they were supplying was more expensive. So the, the company trying to buy the stuff paid more. Like literally everyone lost because government was doing civil, not civil, but were doing social engineering. And it's not good. And so in general, I just have this, there's a negative thing for me. I do not like it. When governments make special deals with individual companies, individuals themselves, because I'm for fair, equitable treatment for all people all the way across the spectrum. Now, the other side. It cannot be argued that there are positives. If you're the governor of New York or Virginia, you're a mayor around that area, of course you guys benefit. Let me be clear. It is inarguable that humans, if you're for human flourishing, the humans who live in those areas, they're going to do better. It's going to be unequivocally better for their lives for Amazon to be coming to those places. It's the jobs. I think over 20,000 jobs in both locations. But it's going to affect wages everywhere. If you got to fill all those jobs, you do, you do the competitive wages to get into Amazon, and so all the other Places have to compete for, for those workers. You'll have other people coming from the outside, and then as those wages go up, you spend that money. There's not a question of what's going to happen here. It's going to be good for economic growth in those areas, but the jobs come in and the wages will likely be going up. There's another positive here. This should be a lesson in how not to create a positive business environment because this Amazon group is moving out of, at least partly, out of Seattle. 
So this should be a lesson to all of us. Seattle in the last five years will have lost Boeing basically completely and Amazon almost completely. Well, Seattle, we should figure out what you're doing. What are you doing that's so wrong that you're losing all these awesome companies that used to be right there in your town? How did you lose them? And we can just look there and see, well, all the, the heavy regulation on environmental stuff, all the regulation on, I'll tell you, this was a big one for Seattle that folks don't know and it gets overlooked. Seattle has so many regulations on housing, on, on what housing you can build, that, that has what, that's what's really hurt them because they, the wages have to go up so much to actually pay the rents in Seattle because Seattle won't let developers come in there and just build a bunch of housing. And so the rents go up so high, it's harder to actually field employees in that area. You can see the regulations that hurt Seattle, the, the minimum wage that hurts Seattle. This is a bad environment. The taxes in Seattle, this is a bad environment for business. And so it ends up not even being hard uh, to see what's going wrong there. And so there are some positives that we can actually see. Uh, Amazon making this move should illustrate to everybody everywhere what is good for humans because it is good for the people in your area for there to be jobs there and wages to be going up. And this is good all the way around for people to see what works and what doesn't. Again, I would just like to see this good environment be for everybody, not just be for Amazon because they're the big bad Amazon and they get whatever they want. I want that fair and equitable for all businesses. One last thing on Amazon and we will move on. This also reminds me of something I said a while back, maybe over a year ago, that needs to get revisited. In general, growing up, unions have been something in conservative world that we just know of as an absolute negative. Unions are terrible. We don't like unions. They're not good. And I think objectively measuring unions in my lifetime, that's been true. Unions have primarily had as their interest the union. Union leadership and union structures have not been for their workers. They've been for the organization. So whatever is best for the organization's bottom line, whatever is best for the organization's officers, whatever is best for the organization's influence, that's what we do. The secondary interest is what we can get for our actual members of the union. We actually want to defend the union as an organization. And that's why I think we're now at 8%. 8% of the American workforce is unionized because unions stopped fighting for their workers. They started fighting for themselves, their own existence. But that's not where unions started. If you actually go back to the history, we're talking mid-20th century in unions, there's some real good that they did. And unions weren't an organization unto themselves in their own interests. They really just were workers coming together to use their collective bargaining power that they were all coming together as labor to say, well, we're part of this too. Hey, you guys in the in the cool suits in the boardroom, you should just like think about us some and what's in our interest. You shouldn't just think about your interest, but we should you should think about ours. And you know, we'll if we have to, we'll walk out, hurt your bottom line to get what we need, because we should be a constituency you consider. You should consider your customer, certainly. You should consider yourselves as the executives, but you should also consider us because we're the workers. It ultimately, what that, that, was a, that was good. That was a good thing that they brought some balance into the market. The, the thing that happened is that union leadership ended up in those meetings that was not about the workers primarily. It was about their own influence, and it was about their own power, and keeping the organization together. And now I think we have gone off the rails again. This sounds very unconservative of me. It sounds very anti-free market capitalist of me. But we have gone off the rails. 
if you ask a CEO now and they're honest with you about how important the 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 employee is in their hierarchy of constituencies, I don't know that the employee is a top five importance. For most CEOs now, those boardrooms, who who cares about the employee? We want to know about stockholder value, shareholder value. What are we producing for our shareholders? And companies that care about their shareholders more than they care about their employees, those are bad companies. They're profitable companies. They're not necessarily running morally. And so what happens when that, when this is the, the paradigm that we're on in American boardrooms is that our shareholders are more important than our employees. Well, we probably need the employees to have some kind of power to bargain with their employers to go back into that room and say, hey guys, I get the shareholders matter. Totally understand. They're very important uh, to us. The investing part, yeah, we love our investors, uh, but we love our customers. And then we're here too. We're employees and we should matter some. And so this Amazon thing also reminds me, there might need to be a resurgence of the, the right kind of union that really is there primarily for the worker. Okay, that's the Amazon deal. Another thought. I told you the show was just... There's going to be a lot of uh, things, a lot of topics, and just like one or two thoughts on each one. Uh, so here's another. I got to, rec- I have to re- uh, amend what I said last week. I gave you a report on the midterm election and said it wasn't much of a blue wave. Now that the full results are in, I don't like saying it, but we need to probably acknowledge that that night, last uh, the election, it went a lot better for Democrats than originally thought. What happened, I think, is the narrative got set early in the evening, where it appeared, and it still does, that the Republicans would win the Senate seat in the governor's mansion in Florida, and then fairly early in the evening, we found that the Ohio governor's mansion was going to stay with the Republican, and some of those other East Coast battlegrounds, like the one in Kentucky, they were going to Republicans, and so it seemed, you know, this is going to be a, a fairly average thing. Democrats are going to win about the average amount of seats that the out-of-power party does in a midterm election. It really wasn't much of a blue wave. And then as things started to come in late, these late-breaking things, especially out in California, we should acknowledge that it was much better for Democrats than I originally thought. It's going to be close to 40 seats, guys. I thought it was going to be 25 to 30. It looked like it was going to be 25 to 30. It's much closer to 40 than it is 30 in the House. Guys, Arizona, I I went to bed, I mean, that night, and for days and days after, I thought the Republican, McSally, was going to win the Arizona Senate seat. It's not. It's Kristen Sinema. She is an insane person. She is an insane left-winger. And this is the woman who said in 2003 she would be fine with Americans joining the Taliban. She's an insane person. She defeated in that Senate race the first woman to ever fly in combat. It, it wasn't a great night that Arizona goes blue, Nevada goes blue. Because it is those two western states that have higher Hispanic populations, it does make me think that the president focusing so much on that caravan in the end drove some turnout, but from the wrong people. Uh, the ro- drove turnout from folks who were going to vote for the Democrat there. And when you go, in, go into a night where there's Democratic senators in Montana and there's Democratic a Democratic senator in West Virginia and you don't pick up those and you lose in Nevada and Arizona and you really only pick up Florida and Missouri 
North Dakota. Guys, it wasn't a great night. And so was it a blue wave? It's definitely, you know, people were putting out their funny memes and everybody's, everyone's a political pundit and knows everything and they get to make fun of the other side. And so out here on the right, it was, well, you know, it wasn't much of a blue wave and you're getting cartoons of Smurfs out there to show how much of a blue wave it wasn't. If you were going to ask me to call it a, a an average, which one is it closer to? Is it closer to your average midterm or a big blue wave? It was closer to a big blue wave. That doesn't make me happy to say. It's just the truth, and that's what we do here. It also should be instructive to the president because he's going to run in 2020. He's not going to have any Republican opposition. He's going to be the nominee. They're going to they're going to make him the nominee in Charlotte in 2020. He should recognize what worked and what didn't if he has any interest in being reelected. But it ended up being a much better night for Democrats than we ever thought. Boy, I have a lot more I want to try to do. We're going to get to as much of it as we can in this final segment, and then we will move on to sports. So come back for the rest of the Corey Act Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Glad you are here and you have stuck around. Uh, I'm having to be judicious and choose carefully what we spend our final little bit of time here on. And so here is where I'm going to begin. This is from Axios. Axios is a polling company and news corporation. Uh, they put out a poll that discourages me, and I think it's really the the explanation of what's wrong with us, why everything is so wrong in the United States can be placed. Uh, not why everything's so wrong. It's one of the big culprits. And so I just want to give you the results of that poll, what we can learn from it, and what to do about it. Here was their headline. Poll. Most Democrats see Republicans as racist and sexist. So first, we already all knew that, right? We already knew that was true. But don't let that headline fool you. These attitudes go both ways. And the rest of the poll proves that. I I wish they wouldn't have made the headline what it was. Just to give you the rest of these, uh, some of these results. When you ask Republicans, do you think Democrats are ignorant 49% 49% say yes. Democrats, 54% of Democrats say Republicans are ignorant. Now, granted, I am outside of both of these things. I don't consider myself to be either one of these. But it is a, it's important to recognize that this is this is a big problem we have. How about this one? Spiteful. Do you see the other side is spiteful? 54% of Republicans say yes to Democrats. 44% of Democrats say yes to Republicans. Do you think the other side is evil? of Republicans say yes. Do you think the other side is evil? 21% of Democrats say yes. They are evil people. One-fifth of each party thinks the other party is full of evil people. I could get you to some more of these. A vast majority. Oh, that's actually an encouraging one. Vast, Vast majorities of both groups would be okay if someone they knew married someone of the other party. So that's good. Not totally insane. Um, how about this one that, oh yeah, so when you asked for open-ended descriptions, just, hey, describe the other people. So for Democrats, 22% gave responses like selfish, greedy, corrupt, spineless, fearful, or bad. 26% of Republicans just asked, hey, describe Democrats. They say socialist, angry, hypocritical, uninformed, power-hungry, violent. Now, are those minorities, 22%, 26%? Sure, it's, too, it's still too significant. One-fifth? And then this is maybe more discouraging. 
only 4% for both groups said the other side is fair. That's their, the word fair. When they asked, do you, would, you, would you describe the other side as thoughtful? Only 3% said yes. Would you describe the other side as kind? Only 3% said yes. And guys, 3% is the margin of error in the poll. So here's just a truth. Until we can fix that, until we can address the fact that we all just hate each other, or at least big chunks of Americans hate each other, I don't, I don't know that we can move in any kind of real direction. Some of that is fear. We don't just hate each other, we fear each other. We assume the worst of each other. That's another one. Sometimes that's sometimes there's an excuse for it. A lot of times that's lazy. If you just assume the worst of someone because they identify as a different party, I don't know how to move forward. We got to get to a spot where we assume the best of each other. I had this discussion with someone recently. I wonder if you would agree. If you do agree, I would or not. I'd love to hear from you. You can contact any of the social media stuff or the Corey Truax show or you can email whatever you want to do. Again, on Anchor, if you have the Anchor app, you can actually call into the show, leave a voicemail for the show. You might play it. I wonder now if someone came forward who was generally unideological and just came forward with some ideas how that person would do. So someone comes forward and says, hey, I'm not conservative. I'm not liberal. Here's what I think. I think we need to do... Uh, we need to defederalize, or I guess federalize everything. We want to have more local control. I have a couple ideas on education for the, for the, locals, uh, for the local level. And here is an idea on uh, infrastructure. These are things that are typically non-ideological, how that person would do. I, I think there actually is some hunger for it. I know that I'm hungry for it. I prefer having a hardcore conservative. I love ideology. I, I want that. But you know, if someone just came forward and said, uh, really, I, I don't believe much of anything. I just think that term limits would help us be less corrupt. I think daylight saving time is a terrible idea. And we should probably let more local control take place on education. I really don't believe much of anything else on any other topic. I would go, all right. Or I think that, that might be something I want to do. There There are these two parties that are very entrenched and they hate the other side and they... They fear the other side. There is some big chunk of us out there, ideological and non-ideological, that's just, does anyone have an idea? Like, does anyone want to put forward something that might improve anyone else's life? Or do we just want to argue and hate each other? I was listening to a libertarian here recently, Larry Sharp. He had some ideas on education that blew my mind, and I loved hearing about it because I used to really get into education policy. But what what occurred to me was, I haven't heard anyone discuss education policy in forever. All we talk about is personalities. Like, we barely talk about the debt or taxes. We don't talk about abortion much or marriage. We don't talk about... We really talk about very few policy things. And it reminded me, I mean, this education thing, like, we've really broken it. I've, I give this illustration before on sports. Like, if we didn't have college sports, like it didn't exist, and tomorrow we were going to create it, we would not create the NCAA. That's not the, that is not the body we would choose. We would not organize it the way we have if we started from scratch. Equally, the way we do K-12 through education, if it didn't exist, 
and then tomorrow we decided to invent it, the way we do it right now, we wouldn't do it that way. It's backward and it's antiquated and it's, and it's wrong-headed. But do you remember the last time you actually heard someone talk about it? The closest thing we get to actual policy discussions now is, should stuff be free or not? Should the government pay for everything or should it not pay for everything? That's the close as we get to any kind of policy discussion. Otherwise, we just debate personalities and who we hate and who we don't. And so that's what we have to get over. If we're ever going to move forward, we've got to stop fearing each other. We have to stop hating each other. And let's get back to the hard work. The hard work is ideas. That's where the work gets done. I've run out of time for all the other stuff. We'll try to get back to it next week. Share the show everywhere you can on uh, social media. We have run out of time. Let's move on to sports. As we do, we're going to finish up talking sports with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. Before we get into our weekly, this time of year, it's always football right. for us, there is the somewhat recent, about a month ago, the NBA's Developmental League mm-hmm. announced they would take players uh, right out of high school, yep. where they don't have to go to a, to a year to Duke or something like that. I love this idea. What was your reaction when you heard it? Yeah, I thought it was a great idea. It's fair, right? Yeah, I mean, what's the difference between me graduating high school at 18 and going to work full-time for a corporation like GE, and these guys are really good at basketball, graduating 18 and going to get a job. There's no difference. I think people are hypocritical because it's a sport, and they say, well, they can't get paid yet. I can join the Marines at 17 and get paid good. in a war zone. Good point. You tell me this kid can't play a sport? The, the idea of athle- getting paid for athletics specifically. Right. Neither one of us are 18 anymore, but right. those were good years for our bodies, right? Yeah, they were. 18's a productive age. And to say to somebody, you can't use these, pr- these right. very good years of your life to make money, that's wrong. That's a wrong thing to do that to When that they'll person. go to somewhere and get a 12-year-old genius who's graduated college already and give him a job at a yep. software company, what's the difference? There should, there's not one. There's not one. Ethically, morally. Right. I don't know why. Like, I, think, I thought about this for Zion Williamson. Yep. There's no reason you should play college basketball. We all know what you're going to do. You're going to leave in a year. They're all going to leave yeah. in a year. All the Duke players, a lot of the Kentucky yeah. players, you're going to be around for one year, and you're only doing this as kind of your tryout for the NBA. He's 6'7". If he was in the NBA now, he would be the second heaviest player in the league. Wow. He, whew, he's a kid, but too. he doesn't look like he weighs that much. He's just a man. That kid's a freak. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like it when like when Kobe did what LeBron did out of high school. When right. they, they banned that. Yep. Uh, that happened to Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant was the first player fully affected by it. Yep. He was ready for the NBA. Yeah, like, he went to Texas, Texas one year and he was gone. Yeah, he was a Longhorn. And so, I, anyway, that's just a piece of sports news yeah, I mean, that look I love. Kevin Garnett, I mean, LeBron, Kobe, they are obviously ready for the NBA out of high school. There's no need for them to go to – unless they just want to get a degree, and that's awesome. Yeah. But they don't need to. They can do that when they're done playing. Right. You can do it at 35. Right. You don't need to do it now. Um, being a college football fan – I am curious if, if you're skeptical of this. If that popped up for football, mm-hmm. so that Deshaun Watson doesn't play college ball, yep. he ends up taking a year or two and plays semi-pro. Well, there are different co- different. There are a couple of different aspects to football and basketball as far as 18 year olds going to the league. Okay, because of the physicality of the game, the speed of the game, the the just the natural dangerous aspect of the game. I don't know many 18 year old kids that could go to the NFL. And play against those guys. I mean, I mean, you got people like J.J. Watt. You mm-hmm. got Terrell Suggs. I don't know any 18-year-olds just physically who would be ready for that. I'm sure there may be one or two, but on a whole, I think you need the development of college in football. Whereas in basketball, 
we're talking maybe 10 players who have affected per year. Right. Maybe it's one every other year in football. Yeah, if that many. Okay. Because that's uh, the basketball coaches are upset. The NCAA people are upset because you're going to take our our talent pool. No, you're going to take our our national championship that year. Yeah, because that's how they wrangle them. Just come here for one year. You have to mm-hmm. win a national championship. Go play, get paid. That's and that's what I wonder about college football fans. If you would go, I do, I wouldn't want that in football because that would take away my program's best players. Well, there will always be talent that that chooses not to do that. Sure, but I think it would be dangerous for kids to do that for most of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, even with Watson, yep. you, you use him as an example because we're both fans of his. Yep. He really didn't take the college hits all that well. Right. He needed to develop physically. Yeah, you need to develop. You need to get in the weight room on the nutrition programs because high schools don't offer that for the most part. Yeah. It's a different different level from high school to NBA, high school to NFL. Agreed. It's just different. It's a violent sport. It's a violent sport. Okay, so then to the college football world, my first question for you. Um, that Michigan, I would say they didn't squeak it out. It wasn't close. So they didn't look great right. against Michigan State. Georgia looked way better to me against their Auburn opponent. Yeah, Auburn. Uh, Georgia or Michigan right now, who is the better team to you? Honestly, eyeball test, to me, it looks like Georgia. Me too. But, you know, record-wise, I mean, it is Michigan right now. And all yeah. this stuff should play out. They still, it will. They still have to, you know, yeah. play Ohio State, blah, blah. And Ohio State looks horrible, as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, and Georgia has to play Alabama again. To, yeah, I was talking right. to a Georgia fan. He was very worried about where they're placed right now. Like, beat Bama, no one Like, if you no beat Bama, you're in. It doesn't matter what you're you – it can, doesn't matter. You can be ranked 20th right now, but if you go to the SEC championship and beat Bama, you're a playoff team. Who, yeah, Georgia right now is my first out. They're yeah, number five number for Number five for you. Yep. That's, again, eyeball test. I think Georgia's better than Michigan. Yeah, But true. I agree in terms of resume. Right. That's where it sits right now. Um, then, so last week we said LSU showed us – Bama has some flaws. Yep. I think we saw it again. We saw Miss- it again. But the Mississippi State has the exact same problem LSU has. No they offense. cannot score. Yes. It's but Alabama only scored 29 points. Specifically can't score through the air. Right. I think I looked – you know who it was? It was another local host tweeted out that for passing efficiency, LSU was 106th and Mississippi State was 109th. Right. And so Alabama might be able to shut down a run game of Notre Dame, shut down a run game of Clemson. But those two teams can throw the ball. Well, yeah, I mean, Boston College stacked the box and mm-hmm. was going to eliminate the, the run game for Clemson, and they did a decent job of that. Sure. I mean, ETN still had almost seven yards of a carry. Yeah. Um, but Trevor Lawrence threw it over the top and had 300 yards passing. I mean, it you know, pick your poison. He um he he missed a c- couple? I guess that's yeah, there were three there were three deep balls where the dude had at least two or three steps, yeah. and it was open. It was just overthrown. And so a couple of those, he was under pressure as well. Yeah, and it was because windy. It was windy. It was cold. But uh, it, I don't think the, the elements affected him as much as, as Allen on the end, who's going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL, by the way. The the, the uh, BC defensive the end. The BC defensive end. Yeah. Ancrum, Ancrum could not block him the whole game. So a lot of that, he had some pressure, and he just released the ball too fast. You can see it floating on him, whereas usually his is, mm-hmm. you know, pretty flat and on the money. That's what I saw for both – Let's all stop pretending. The best two teams are Alabama and Clemson, and no one's close. Right. There's no one close. No. And so what I saw watching back the 20-minute version of the BC-Clemson yep. game and then watching the 20-minute version of Bama versus Mississippi State is both Clemson and Alabama can make the other quarterback win. Yep. So the, both teams are going to say, Tua, you got to throw it. And Bama's going to be able to stop the run, I think, yep. and say to Trevor, go beat us. I, I just happen to think Clemson's receivers L- are better. And Listen, Clemson's receivers are better. Yeah. Clemson's – Run game is better. Because, oh, Alabama's in the SEC. No, listen, they're better, okay? I know Alabama is 
the standard by which all others are measured. Sure. But they've earned that. It, they've earned that. Yeah, they have. But if if a group is better, then say they're better. Don't say, well, you know, they got to play Alabama. Well, that's fine. Get it. Alabama has a great quarterback. Uh, they do. Two is great. He's incredible. Uh, they have a good offense this year. I think it's the best offense Alabama's had since Saban's been there. Absolutely. I've always said they have a playmaker at quarterback now instead of a manager. Yep. But Clemson's run game and Clemson's defense are better than Alabama's. They yep. are. I don't. The defense is. I can't even imagine that being controversial. For so, if someone thinks Bama's defense is better than Clemson's, you, we're, we're, I can't process that. My problem with Alabama being so good is that nobody wants to compare anybody else to them, and then if, and then say, well, Alabama's not as good at this position group. I mean, call it like you see it. Are they better? Or are they not? Would you agree that on? This uh, the Saturday night games when it was the uh, Alabama versus Mississippi State yep. and Clemson versus ba- uh, Boston College, you did see that both there's a path to containing both of them. Yep. And I think they both are, th- both are going to see that from one another. Yeah. They just have better talent to uh, to do it. Right. I mean, look what Clemson did to the BC run game. I mean, AJ Dillon had what, forty yards. Incredible. He's, he's the one or two rusher in in the ACC. I think he's number one actually. Oh. Number four in the country maybe. He's going to be a a second round maybe draft pick. Right. He's going to play in the NFL. Yeah, he's That's an NFL back. He's great. I mean, they, they had, what, 20 yards in the first half. So Yeah. The, 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 the defense the gave up no points. They had a fluke return where Spears waited too long to kick it. Yeah. Anyway. One other quick thought <laughs> on, uh, well, I guess going forward then. So Clemson now has Duke, South Carolina, and it looks like Pitt is going to win the, yep. the other division there. That's going to be ugly. Bama still has Auburn and Georgia. Just in terms of path forward, Clemson's just seems – Quite nice. Yeah, it seems not. Yeah. It, and I'll be honest with you, it seems like Alabama Clemson are on a, another collision course for each other, and I hope they are. Me too. That's, that's I a do. blast. If for I no, think they are. If for no other reason, uh, I want to see a bunch of people from Alabama and South Carolina spend a weekend in San Francisco. <laughs> Just to <laughs> yeah, see how that goes. San Francisco will not know what's going on. That is like, very, where are these hicks from? Exactly. And I want people <laughs> to tape it. I want to see. I do too. Somebody needs to go Facebook Live and just Bama there. and Carolina take on San Francisco yeah. Bay. That would be a blast. Be awesome. All right. We're all out of time. Thanks for coming in and talking sports. I appreciate We'll be it. back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.